Hi, my name is Katie Halper, and I'm the host of The Katie Halper Show, which you can hear every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI, that's 99.5 FM, or WBAI.org. Every month, we have a live taping in front of an audience, and this month, our live taping is on Thursday, December 7th at 8 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue. The theme will be sexual harassment and comedy. What's the deal? Our guests will be stand-up comedians Judah Friedlander, Kath Barbadaro, and writer and labor organizer Alex Press. Judah Friedlander is a stand-up comedian, author, and actor known for 30 Rock and American Splendor. His original comedy series, America is the Greatest Country in the United States, is now streaming on Netflix. Kath Barbadaro is an NYC-based stand-up comedian, writer, TV personality, and co-host podcast, What a Time to Be Alive and Lie, Cheat, and Steal. Alex Press is an assistant editor at Jacobin Magazine and writes for places like The Nation and Indies Times. So make sure you come to our live taping Thursday, December 7th at 8 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue. See you then. So should we, should, I'll just do an intro, then we'll call Alex? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, cool. Hello, and welcome to the Kate. I put the thing on. Look, it's on. Honestly, yeah. I shut the thing off. What is that? My laundry. Hello, and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. So happy to be here. So happy to be here with Gabe Pacheco. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here again, Katie. Mom, I can't talk now. I'm taping, and I don't know how to make it so that I can't. Um, shut up. Okay, bye. I don't know what to do. I put it on. I know, I know. Also, just tell your parents when you are taping. Okay. And my laundry people. Okay. Um. Hello, and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper, and I'm always joined by my co host. Gabe Pacheco. You can find us on WBAI every Wednesday at 7 p.m. That's WBAI.org or 99.5 FM. You can also find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. We're going to be speaking to Alex Press today about sexual harassment. Alex Press is an assistant editor at Jacobin. You know what you got to do on iTunes? You got to leave us a review. You got to rate us. We rate need some more five-star ratings. Yeah. R- write a few lines. Write a few lines. You have to write a little bit. Like write a, a sentence. I've been I've been loving leaving reviews for things because I got an iPhone. I go in my notes and I oh, just yeah. and while I'm listening to a podcast I like, I write one or two sentences about that. But you know, it's it's a practice in writing. Yeah. And then I copy and I paste that right into the review right off my phone you know i have to admit something i wasn't i it kind of was a struggle for me i couldn't totally figure out how to do it but it's pretty easy it's super easy yeah yeah. and if you don't know how to do it you can go on google and honestly right there it tells you this is how you leave a review from your iphone we you know what we should make a movie a a video about that next time at some point yeah because we can really use it i mean it it bumps us up and uh it gets uh more exposure out there and if you like what you're listening to and you want to spread the word uh, that's the best way to do it. Give thanks. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Give we thanks. Are. Don't we, give and, thanks to this terrible government and country. I, I love a turkey, but and but you know I have no idea why anybody who's not a descendant of a pilgrim is celebrating it. Yeah. If you weren't if you weren't one of those first few people, uh, who who came off the Mayflower and got fed a bunch of corn by the local indigenous communities, you know there's no reason. So spend the day giving thanks for the Katie Halper Show. Yeah, gracias. For Gabe Pacheco. Para nosotros. Yes. And uh, you know what else you can do if you want to thank us? Go go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Just go there. Easy. Patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. You say, I'm going to donate $5 a month. You, shekels. Shekels. Rubles. rubles whatever. Rubies. Rubles. Because you're Russian bots. Like, <laughs> seriously, five. Do you realize that's, that's $1 and a quarter uh, a week? Yeah. That's nothing. 
But to us, it means the world. But to us, it means the world. For the price of a cup of coffee, do you remember those Sally Struthers commercials? I do. Many children around the world still need your help. And through Christian Children's Fund, you can reach out to one of them by sharing, well, just a little of your pocket change. It takes so little for you to become a special friend to a child in a developing country. For the price of a cup of coffee. For about 70 cents, you can buy a cup of coffee in Guatemala. You could save the life of Jose or um, Sarita. For 70 cents a day, you can help a child like Vilma get the clothes she needs to attend school. But for $5 a month, you can save the life of one Katie Halper and one Gabe Pacheco. Yeah, lives, multiple lives. That's right. Yes, I'll, I'll podcast hosts. So yeah, you just go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper show. Why don't you call this toll-free number right now? You get great bonus content. We got we gave you, oh, last week it was hot. It was really hot. Norman Finkelstein and Todd Gitlin. This week we have an extended interview with Alex Press, who's our guest. You're going to love it. It's really great. We talk about sexual harassment. And, oh my God, speaking of sexual harassment, so great. So happy to be able to make this connection. We are doing our next live show December 7th. That's a Thursday. It's a hot day of the week, a Thursday. Thursday, December 7th, we are doing a show at the Brooklyn Commons, which is at 388 Atlantic Avenue, 8 p.m. It'll be about sexual harassment and comedy. What's the deal? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Just came up with that. That's a great title. Sexual harassment and comedy. What's the deal? And our guest will be Judah Freelander. Judah Freelander, kind of a big deal. He has a new um, Netflix album. Very funny stuff. Very funny guy. Yeah. You know him from um, American Splendor, the movie? Uh, you know him from 30 Rock. You know him from uh, just great stand-up. He's and the world's champion. Yeah, he is the world's champion, yeah. And also Kath Barbadoro, a very funny comedian. Yeah, I follow in, her on Twitter. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Kind of an alt-comedian, if you if you will. Is that a fair description? Did I just make myself look like I'm 79 years old? 84 years old. 84, okay, Yes. Cool. Yeah, she's great, though. She and I both performed at a Jabari Brisport benefit. Hey, yeah. love Jabari Brisport. Yeah, he's great. Check out Kath's op-ed at the Washington Post called I Did a Stand-Up Set About Louis C.K.'s Offenses. It Wasn't Enough. Being in on an open secret feels like doing something, but it's not. And some breaking news. We've just added Alex Press, the guest on today's show, to our live taping on December 7th. So make sure you come out. December, that's Again, that's December 7th. 8 p.m. At the Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue, to see Kath Barbadoro and Judah Friedlander and Alex Press. And, of course, Gabe and I will be there. We lost someone. Charles Manson. Charles Maddox Manson, you know? He was born no name Maddox. <laughs> that's that's, that's right. so sad. And I'm not a I'm not a Manson apologist, no. you know? But uh uh it's uh, just a, a cultural touchstone. He's gone. Gone, yeah. Yeah. So uh Gabe so has a tear on his cheek. Right. I'm I'm not I'm not missing him. Yeah. But uh he was uh you know, a a product of our uh system. He was yeah. clearly a product of our penal system. You know, he spent his whole life in jail, and the very small fraction of his life that he spent out of jail, he caused wreaking havoc. On yeah, he got a lot done. He, but he got a lot done. He didn't. I didn't he burnt, even realize he burned this. out. Uh, what a bright star burns out fast. And then is kept in jail. Yeah. Yeah, and rots in jail. But he didn't even want to get out the first time. 
He begged to be uh, kept in jail. He was definitely, he was like really mentally ill, right? Yeah, he was mentally ill and uh, he was totally institutionalized, uh, mentally institutionalized. And uh, he was a product of being raised in a juvie and then in prison. So prisons don't rehabilitate anyone. Yeah, uh, newsflash, guys. I didn't even realize that he just sent people to kill people. Right. Uh, well, the fir- uh, for the first murders, yes. Got it, okay. He, he didn't go to the um, Sharon Tate's house, so it was a couple of his followers that did that, and then they came back, and they were really excited with what they'd done, and they told him all about it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, in a cult, you always have to maintain authority. So, I, my, you know, the theory is that he then uh, went and accompanied them on a second mission to show that he wasn't going to disavow them for what they did. Got it. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know, born to a a young a young woman who didn't want him. She was a grifter, and uh, then he ended up in um, jail as a child, uh, where he was uh, sexually abused and mm. bullied by Great. the older kids. It's wonderful. Ran away from the jail, got caught again, brought back, tried to go straight. But uh, he really didn't learn anything while he was in juvie. It wasn't a teachable moment for him? <laughs> no. No. So, uh, so yeah, his whole story is a huge, tragic story. And, um, you know, it ended up uh, poorly for him and all of his victims. Yeah, it's kind of a, a, like a reminder of why we maybe don't want to, like, be so draconian and punitive in our society because it doesn't just harm the person, but it harms the victims of the person. Right, right, right. The system built a monster. Yeah. He wasn't born. He wasn't born evil. And then every traumatic incident adds a new wrinkle. New wrinkle in time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I saw a lot of pieces. His son committed suicide. I saw a lot of pieces on Facebook that were like, rot in hell. He's the worst. And it's true, you know, uh, that he's uh, terrible. But, you know, we can uh, we can reflect on the whole situation and look to see how uh, we could create a world where things like that don't happen again. That's true. Yeah. So should we call Alex? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, cool. And it should show, like... Hey, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Yep. Great. And can you hear... Hi, Alex. My name's Gabe. Hey, how's it going, Dave? Great. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Of course. So Dave, correct? Gabe. Gabe Pacheco. Gabe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad I asked. Yeah. No, yes. and Alex doesn't listen to podcasts, so oh, that's perfect. Yeah. So yeah. Yes, please don't be offended by the fact that I didn't know. Yeah. I oh, no, know. I, I'm. I. God bless you. Yeah. God bless. God bless. <laughs> do you spend time reading? I do actually. I am like a you know old school uh, nerd in that way. Let us know if there's anything you want to talk about for this issue. You know, I just I'd rather talk about like working class women and get into sort of some things we can do about this issue rather than what do we think of Louis C.K.'s apology and stuff like that. So more on the like uh, the stuff that doesn't get talked about. Wait, enough. so you, you don't want to be asked as a woman on the left what you think about men on the left? Because that's so <laughs> no. empowering. I really like that when people <laughs> come to that. me yeah, to ask yeah. me that. So will you personally vouch for all the men? Exactly. The yeah. And if not, aren't you a hypocrite? I don't know. Or don't self-loathing. Really yeah, why do yeah. you carry water for misogynists yeah. on the left? I would not like to do that. All right. So I'll edit this so it's just basically my saying, why do you carry water for misogynists on the left? And and I'll edit it so you say, I like to do that. <laughs> Perfect. I think we would agree. Katie, I will murder you. Yeah, good. Oh, and then and then we'll have oh, show no. you as homicidal. Mm-hmm. And then Gabe oh, will, no. like, attack me and uh, pretend it was you. 
Great. Right, right. This is awesome. You'll be like, no, I won't I won't put up with this any longer. I'm not covering for the men. And I'll say, Katie, I'm going to murder you. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. I Jesus refuse to be Christ. silent, Alex. I'm not going to be silent. And then you're going to. Okay. Gonna, I'm done making done. any. Now I'm going to think for an awkward 10 seconds before I speak at all. Yeah. So you can't edit me. Why do you carry water for massages on the left? You know, I just love that. I do, actually. I am like a, you know, old school in that way. I refuse to be silent, Alex. I'm not going to be silent. Katie, I will murder you. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Um, welcome to the Katie Halper Show. We're so excited to be speaking with Alex Press, who is making her Katie Halper Show debut. It's true. It's true. Thank you for having me to you both. Of course. And Alex, uh, just so our listeners know is an assistant editor at Jacobin Magazine. She's a PhD student, getting her PhD in sociology at Northeastern. And she's written for places like The Nation and Vox and In These Times. She's also- Even Vox. Even Vox, I know, she's, she infiltrates. She's also a member of Democratic Socialists and the News Guild. And Alex has written a lot about sexual harassment, but she's written about it from the perspective of someone who looks at class and economics as opposed to someone who pretends those things don't exist and (laughs) so we were really excited to talk to you because thank god for small favors there's so much grist for the mill for someone like you who uh, (laughs) likes to talk about and write about sexual harassment and harassment in general and what can be done about it and uh, I'm really excited to be able to talk to a woman about these issues. You're about... tired of talking about it with me? Well no no Gabe I love talking about this with you. I'm tired of having women talk about uh, male podcasts and I'm tired <laughs> of uh, men virtue signaling about how woke they are. Now Gabe to your credit you don't do that. You never try to do that. Not even no, once. not even once so we really like that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah Alex tell us um you know, what, 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 why do you write about this? Why do you speak about this? Like, I think you're bringing something really important to the conversation. I'll say that so that you're spared the, um, the seemingly self-congratulating thing that I'm asking you to do, but it's, right. it's very reassuring and it's very, um, exciting. I think to hear someone talk about these issues in a framework as a, a socialist, as a socialist. Yeah. Or as someone yeah. who believes that the personal is political, but yeah, but there's also just political too. And not That's everything true. is a microaggression and not everything is about the individual and that the collective has relevance. And at the same time, we're not uh, vulgar class reductionists. So with that really specific concrete <laughs> intro. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so first of all, you said I I, uh, I think you said in the intro, I enjoy writing about this. I will clarify. That's definitely not true. But um, it does seem like I'm bringing something to the conversation. So I'm happy to do it. Yes. Um, I think the reason, you know, it's not like this is the subject I've always written about. I write about labor primarily, um, and I also am a member of two unions, and I've organized one of them. Um, So that's really where I come from. Um, Obviously, I'm a woman, and one of my first political experiences was helping get a feminist organization in Boston off the ground. So um, these are the two things that I think I particularly have some background in. Um, this issue specifically, I would say, um, as far as what caused me to start to agree to write and speak about this, um, you know, over the past year and a half, I helped organize a union at Northeastern. Um, and one of the biggest issues that came up among workers when I was talking to them, especially women, was that they were dealing with rampant sexual harassment and even some sexual assault in their labs by their advisors occasionally but less often by a peer 
um, in their department or elsewhere. And so the idea that these that uh, you know that sexual harassment is anything you know that's separate from workplace organizing or from a class analysis to me just like it it makes no sense. So when this conversation started happening, you know immediately it was very limited to what makes the news, right? So big shot stars writing about sexual harassment, whether it's Weinstein, whether it's Louis C.K.'s um, situation, you know, I thought this is a great moment to use that space and inject a reality that really speaks to most women's experiences, which is not Hollywood, but is more like a fast food restaurant. Um, so that's the goal. That's sort of what I'm hoping to bring to the conversation. And I've you know, and one of the pieces I also touched on, you know, what it means on the left to deal with this problem, um, because I think that's also something that, you know, the left should always strive to be better than every other political spectrum when it comes to any oppression, because we see that as so central to fighting exploitation in general. Um, so I, you know, I want to also use this not only to inject some sort of class analysis of the roots of sexual harassment, but to speak to the broader left and say that there are ways we can deal with this within our community as well. One of the pieces that you wrote that speaks about this is the left needs to confront its own sexual assault problem. And that was at Indies Times and it was from the end of October. And the yep. sub headline is our movements will never win as long as many of us are unsafe. And this is a really great piece. And I have to say, I like seeing a piece like this written by someone who's a member of the left or identifies mm -hmm. as part of the left because one of the things is, and I have to be better about this as someone on the left, is I get a little defensive, um, and I understand where it comes from, but I'll get defensive when I see people who I don't think are making good faith critiques of the left. And mm -hmm. one of the hints that they're doing that is when they frame sexual abuse or sexual assault or sexism as a kind of uniquely leftist problem, um, which you don't at all but you are taking the left to task as much as you take any other group to task or more because you're part of it as you said we strive to be better that's why we are in the left right and not mm -hmm. among the not neoliberal centrist or right wingers um sure. but this was a great piece because you you put it out there that you know tackling sexual abuse sexual assault sexual harassment it's not a distraction from our the the project that we are committed to as leftists not to sound totally like old school doctrinaire but it's not a distraction from what from what we're doing and what we're hoping to do it's part of it right so in the piece yeah i mean i make a point and i've tried to make this point when doing other interviews that i think you know personally i think the left is better when it comes to this than any other you know political subculture political strain because we do take this very seriously but that said right we're raised in a world that's patriarchal that's violent um it would be a miracle if there wasn't this problem on the left as well um i mean it's part of why i wrote the piece in for in these times rather than a different more mainstream outlet is i want to be of the left and speak to the left and i think there's a lot of you know it's very hard to do that in this current moment you know i think i mentioned it in the piece oh this is a moment where we have people you know we're visible there's momentum on the left we don't want to give any grist to the mill right we don't want to hand the right um, more material to discredit our broader project. But I don't think talking about this, even publicly, you know, anyone can read this article. Um, I think it only strengthens our legitimacy because I lay out a case for not only sexual harassment being, a, you know, a moral, moral or ethical problem, but also being a strategic problem, precisely what the subhead says, you know, our movements are stronger when we 
have taken this as central to the project, right? It's not separate. Um, and whether I'm I'm drawing on my experience organizing a union at Northeastern where sexual harassment was and the ability of a union to deal with it was one of the most convincing arguments I could make to people who were on the fence about a union. Um, so it was it was a mobilizing issue. And we really, you know, that's a specific example, but it applies to a lot of campaigns, especially union campaigns, that there's no reason to cut yourself off at the knees when it comes to mobilizing campaigns that can get workers organizing. Um, and unfortunately, as we've seen, most workplaces, this is something that actually speaks to a lot of women and to a lesser extent men, um, queer people, um, their experience in the workplace. So no reason to pretend it isn't central to that. Right. And what was the response like to this piece? So I didn't have a, you know, the liberal mainstream or even the right taking this piece to, you know, use it to tar the left, um, which is great. Um, I think that is because of how it's written. There's mm-hmm. very little in here, you know, a woman writing about the reasons to take this seriously in a very, I think, uh, compelling way is not easy to uh, weaponize. I'm of the left, right? right? So it's not like I'm speaking outside of it and saying, look at all this stuff happening. I'm saying, here's ways we can fight it. And I'm, you know, I stand by these institutions that I'm saying are flawed. So, um, you know, the really exciting response has been, from a lot of union members, mm. um, a lot of particularly women have reached out to me privately and said that this piece has been used in, you know, they've raised, they've sent it to their coworkers and held trainings and conversations where everyone was required to read it and to talk about how to implement a more serious approach to taking this stuff, you know, as central, whether it was a union or a nonprofit, even some people um, and said this was a, you know, it gave them the opening. They could email their coworkers who they were pretty sure didn't take this stuff that seriously and say, hey, you should read this and we should have a meeting about it. So, I mean, my the unlike some other issues, I think this is one that I don't want to write about just for the sake of writing, but I want to write about it to be useful. And so to hear that it was useful, especially for women within left movements, and within workplaces is like the best I can hope for. So that was really great. So it was more useful than writing an article titled uh, All Men in Unions Are Trash. <laughs> yeah. That was your right. other alternate title, right? <laughs> that was an alternate title. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, by the way, do you have that piece in front of you? Because it's really, it's really good. It may be worth like having you read parts of it if that's not too, uh, too yeah, much. Yeah, I have it. Yes, um, I pulled it up. Okay, great. I really like, I mean, I'm trying to think of, uh, it's so good. You could read the whole thing, but that I don't want to make you do that. <laughs> That'd be um, very boring. But the left, the, okay, so the, the conversation with the, but the left has never been immune. I mean, the, the paragraph starting with that. Yeah. Um, that's good. Then the next paragraph is good. And then the next one. You want me to read all three paragraphs? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so, but the left has never been immune to sexism and sexual violence from its leaders. From 1964, when the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Stokely Carmichael, said the only position for women in the black power movement was, quote, prone to 2013 when members of the UK Socialist Workers Party left after it refused to adequately investigate rape allegations against a leading member to today when ongoing revelations about alleged sexual misconduct from former SEIU Vice President Scott Courtney, a key architect of the union's Fight for 15 campaign, have resulted in Courtney's resignation, along with the termination of at least one other union staff member. In each of these cases, toleration of this behavior weakened the organization. 
I'm not alone in having experienced the immense pressure brought to bear on anyone speaking out about sexual violence in an organizing space. At worst, you become subject to reminders of the damage you can do to the movement by accusing a prominent man, and it's not always a man, but it usually is, of sexual violence. Quote, the right will use this information against us, you might be reminded, or we can't win without him. The implication being that if you insist on bringing up a leader's misconduct, we can't win with you. Whether you yourself were abused or you're speaking up on someone else's behalf, you open yourself up to criticisms that you are distracting from the real work of the movement. Rather than speaking about your intended focus, be it labor organizing, coalition building, communication strategies, or direct action planning, you are forced into the position of feeling hysterical, becoming a caricature, the woman who is decrying sexism or misogyny in the movement. Almost instantly, you feel your comrades change how they see you. Once an organizer, first and foremost, you're now a woman before all else. It's jarring. Moments before you were a respected leader and suddenly you are suspect. Great. Thank you. That's yep. great. What I like about this piece and, and a lot of the pieces you've written is it combines kind of theory with praxis and uh, also uh, your own personal experience with organizing mm -hmm. tips. You also say that in this piece, you say, I cannot tell you how many campaigns I have seen endangered by the revelation that a man who voluntarily took a leadership position, had a history of sexual violence or misconduct. And you go through a couple of examples of those. Mm -hmm. But can you kind of share with um, listeners what you mean by that and any good examples of this phenomenon of how, as you said, it's a moral ethical issue, but also just on a strategic issue, it's it's not a good idea to, to brush this under the carpet. Sure. So, I mean, there, the examples I give in the piece are from my time organizing in Boston, which is where I lived for seven years before moving to New York this year. Um, and, you know, for example, uh, I mention a local anti-police brutality movement quietly hoping our leaders' history with women never goes public because it'd be a gift to the right. So when you think of a movement like Black Lives Matter or the anti-police brutality movement, you know, that was a movement and still is that's besieged on all sides, right? right. By, there's constant surveillance, both by the state and by political opponents. Um, there is, you know, the right is just rifling through everyone's personal history in hopes of finding something to delegitimize the broader issue and paint the left and anyone involved in these movements as a hypocrite or a terrorist or anything else. So um, this was a case where one of the leaders and for the sake of everyone's privacy, I'm not going to, you know, that it was dealt with internally, fortunately, after a long time of this quiet hoping um, and not knowing what to do. But where a male leader was, uh, it turned out, uh, had quite a history of doing wrong to women in a number of ways. And at that point, by the point where we all, the majority of us realized it, it was a bit too late. He was very prominent. There was nothing we could really do to recall him in any democratic way and he'd become a face of the movement and so at that point you're in a position where you are by your own failure to take this seriously from the start and to really look at warning signs about someone's lack of um, attention to this issue you've put yourself up to fail right? right because eventually that information will come out and then that person by representing the movement in a way that you thought at first was okay you've now given them the power to dissolve the movement too when they get um, attacked for their own mistakes. So it's just one example, but certainly I think one that, you know, on a, on a maybe it's slightly different topic, but the Scott Courtney case and what's going on within SEIU, 
I think is a similar thing in that I've been using it a lot to talk about the strategic problems of not taking this issue seriously, especially on the left. Um, so Scott Courtney, just to refresh any listeners or people who didn't hear about this, um, was one of he was pretty much you know one of the top people within a, within SEIU, which is the biggest union in the United States. Um, and Scott, particularly, you know, not only did he lead the campaign to elect the union's current president, he also designed the Fight for 15 campaign and appointed lots of leaders around the country to lead that campaign locally. So he is very much the uh, kind of the heart and soul in a lot of ways of SEIU, especially Fight for 15. Which is a great and, fight. Yeah, which is right. It's a really important thing, right? Yeah. Um, and it's and Scott's behavior, which is still being, you know, still under investigation. All these details aren't public yet. But Scott and now a, a fair handful of other higher ups within SEIU have been fired or have resigned, um, either for being, you know, for sexually harassing their subordinates or for allowing it to happen when other men around them did that. And, you know, it's a huge problem, right, because the fight for 15 is a massively important campaign and it's a predominantly the members that are at these workplaces where these campaigns happen are predominantly women are predominantly people of color. And here we have I mean, it's it is the stereotype. It's a bunch of white guys who are leading on their behalf and offer the opportunity to delegitimize their work. Right. And, you know, it's really not only that, but even internally within SEIU, from what I've you know can tell and having spoken to a lot of women who are in kind of entry-level organizers at SEIU, this led them to leave the union, to leave the campaign. Some of the sharpest, most energetic young people, mm -hmm. and especially people who were critical and, you know, important democratic voices of a bureaucratic union, those people left because they knew they weren't welcome there in a number of ways, right? And so in a movement like the labor movement, which is dying, really, and needs everyone we can get, you know, this this is precisely the opposite of organizing. And the idea that these failings on these men's behalf can be relegated to their personal life as if it's not a huge failing of them as organizers is just a reflection of the problem of not seeing this as central to organizing. And it's also an example of how, you know, these are things that need to be nipped in the bud, right? The earlier on they are addressed, the less damage they do. The right. more, um, the less, yeah, they're allowed to kind of tarnish the movement. And we just need, I think that the it's kind of simple and obvious, but, you know, we need to get, people need to respond to these things as soon as they become aware of them. Because the longer you right. wait, the harder it is to do something about it. The more, like, complicit everyone looks. And mm -hmm. the more of a, I mean, this is cynical, just the more of a PR disaster it is. Yeah. But obviously also the, the more damage they're doing, if they're whether they're abusing people, harassing people or. You know, I was right. just thinking about how uh, unions were stigmatized and, and looked at as corrupt earlier on and this it, uh, through finance. And uh, now you're looking at unions. This is another uh, place where they just seem corrupt, that they're covering up uh, any sort of sexual harassment or uh, crimes. Right. And uh, yeah, totally. and killing their young and killing the next generation of um, people that would be enthusiastic to move forward these policies. Right. right. And I think really important to sort of drive home again when talking about this is SEIU, like many unions and SEIU certainly is not the only one currently dealing with the ramifications of, you know, fallout around organizers being outed in certain ways as um, sexual abuse, sexually abusive um, but 
when you are led by men like that, you don't see sexual harassment as an organizing issue for your members, right? Mm. And so when fast food workers, you know, in a recent survey from last year, 40% of those surveyed who worked in low-wage fast food restaurants said they were harassed. Um, And I have these numbers in front of me. 42% of those who experienced that harassment felt they were forced to accept it to keep their job. And more than one in five of those who reported it said that they were retaliated against for reporting it. So this is, yeah, wage theft is one huge issue in low-wage work. It sounds like top five at the very least would be sexual harassment, right, as a huge reason to organize a union and something that would get people who maybe don't know much about unions or on the fence would get them really interested in talking to their coworkers and collectively organizing. So unfortunately, when you have the leadership of a union being someone like Scott Courtney, that idea will not enter his mind that this is something that could actually build his membership. And it's the same thing with so many low-wage workers and not even low-wage workers, right? I mean, I work in media. You do as well, Katie, that this is currently, um, I'm in a unionized workplace and in touch with a lot of other unionized media people. And it's also an organizing issue. It's totally driving recent campaigns to to unionize workplaces. So it, it matters on many levels, on the left especially, but really in any workplace that we take this seriously if we want to build strength. Right. So you're saying you it's not a good look when the organizers are committing the crimes that they are promising or should be promising or some rank and file members are promising will be fought against. Yeah. They're saying management does X, Y, Z. We will fight against management when they do X, Y, Z. But also the head We're of the union the may man. be doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. At least let us and- abuse you instead of the uh, uh, instead of our <laughs> class enemies, at least keeping them right. in the family. Yeah. But even more so, I mean, one issue with the unions that still persists is that they what they see as a mobilizing issue that they can you know, talk to members about when they're trying to build a union is they'll say, you know, don't you want higher wages? Don't you want to get back pay from wage theft? Most will not mention, don't you want control over your workplace when it comes to issues like sexual harassment? And you're, I can speak from experience when I say that you're losing a huge number of willing union organizers when you don't mention that because they don't know that unions can help with it. And so it's, you know, it's really a tragedy to see that, to see this fallout and see that these guys were leading a very important campaign like that. Right. So it goes both ways. It's like it's a it's yeah. a it's a failure and a missed opportunity because these people, yeah. if they could, if they only realized it, they would be prioritizing this because they right. realize how much this would bring people into the fold, right? And uh, exactly. I, I can I see uh, in the comedy community, at least on Facebook, there's kind of like a rift between, well, do mm. you believe all, all examples when somebody points a finger? Because there is no apparatus, there's no safe place mm-hmm. within uh, a work environment to complain to a higher up. So then they're so it's all done through uh, like a informal whisper campaigns or um, yes. through sort of outing people on social media as opposed to going through a channel that might cause, um, I don't know, a change within the workplace. Yeah. Does I that make any re- does that make sense? Dave, I-, I think it does. I think it's a really important point. And a, a feminist writers actually said something along the same lines to me, I think, yesterday. I won't name her since it was a private conversation, but a whisper campaign. Yeah, we were whispering about the whispers. Um, we were talking about, you know, that there, of course, it's flawed to publicly 
just accuse people with no process, right? And it can ruin someone's life, whatever. You know, of course, I agree with anyone who says we should be much more concerned about the women, predominantly women, that, you know, whatever guy who's being alleged, he probably ruined women's lives. So that's, of course, where our sympathies primarily should lie. But there is something to be said about this not being a, you know, a coherent, safe, you know, legal process. But, you know, what she said to me is, look, when there's no way internally to t to confront someone about this when all of the channels have failed the only power we have left is this social power and you know so it's going to be sloppy and it's just speaks to exactly how pressing it is to create and strengthen if there are any channels internally both within our workplaces and within our communities more broadly whether it's comedy or whether it's farm workers or media whoever um la hollywood you know there have to be channels and this is the response to what happens when you let something build up when all the channels have closed. That's actually pretty, that's kind of like a good peer pressure technique. Actually. It's like, okay, man, we really don't want to have to have you be <laughs> named by anonymous people with no evidence. So you may want to pressure the workplace to put into, into, you know, to, to adopt these policies so that they're more institutionalized, um, regulated and fair and transparent ways for people to. Yeah. You know, there, there and, that there's established channels. I yeah. was just thinking about Weinstein, uh, his company um, that people wanted to complain. Uh, women who were victims wanted to uh, complain, but he's like p part of the over. He's part of the HR department, so it's like how well, do you complain the to the boss about the his boss. own? Yeah, about the boss. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really important point that particularly a lot of people in white collar or creative industries don't know or don't seem to know from my sense of the past month's conversation that HR is there to protect the company, not to protect you. Mm. And I think it speaks to, you know, the loss of any kind of class understanding of what we're doing or union presence that, you know, a lot of anyone in a union knows you don't speak to HR without a union rep present because they're there to protect you and HR is there to protect the boss. Yeah. And that's just how it works. I mean, HR came in as unions left, right? Mm. So it was a new form of channeling um, workers' discontent. And I think it's, you know, the Weinstein case really drives that home because it was very direct. I think there was a case of a woman complaining to HR and HR saying this, you know that I'm going to tell Harvey, you know, a really explicit kind of case of this. But it's true in every workplace that that's what HR is for, make, making sure the company doesn't get sued. And I think we need to understand that there used to be channels, there used to be unions that were there on your behalf to really be a third party who wasn't loyal to the company or the boss, which often is who's harassing you in the workplace. That's just how power functions when it comes to sexual harassment. It'd be so, awesome if people in the mailroom were always harassing CEOs. Just kidding. Harassment's <laughs> bad wherever it is, but that would be an interesting turning of the tables. Yeah. yeah, that would be certainly surprising. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, I'm like a broken record on this that I find, I think unions are the best channel for this, but there are other, you know, I know everyone can't go out and organize a union tomorrow, but there are other things we can do in most industries. There are coalitions or community organizations or professional associations that are channels that can be there for this kind of, you know, third party um, record keeping at the very least, if not um, actual aid in filing grievances, whether legal or for those of us like myself who, you know, have an issue with the legal system and wouldn't want to send it, you know, almost anyone to prison. 
Um, there, there are ways to at least protect other workers in your industry or your community through these third parties. And so that's, I think, you know, I've been beating that, uh, that drum phrase home for, yeah, beating that drum since this conversation started. But, you know, I think it's really important to, to remember that the answer to individual oppression is always collective action. Right. And so you look around and you figure out what the options are and you start from whatever, you know, exists where you are. Yeah. I mean, I think like even though this the Me Too movement and what we've been seeing has been mostly individuals coming out, but you couldn't have a story demonstrate the power of the collective any more than this. Right. Because you have literally safety in numbers. So one person like takes that huge step that's like requires a lot of bravery and is very difficult to do. And then Mm -hmm. it's no longer just one person's story you're no longer have the all the kind of risk on your shoulders you you now can join this story the dams burst open yeah and you just see how empowering it is to not be the only person saying it um so and so related to that you you we just you know you talked about the problems among some unions and you you underlined why it's so important to not tolerate sexual uh harassment among uh organizers and higher ups so what what can unions do what have unions done um what are some stories that demonstrate the powerful roles that unions can play in protecting people from harassment or preventing it yeah that's a great question um so you know i i recently was asked you're maybe familiar or read some of these articles about you know when the weinstein story came out for today's bonus go to patreon.com the Katie Helper Show. Just go there. You get great bonus content. This week, we have an extended interview with Alex Press, who's our guest. You're going to love it. Patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Like us on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. And Thursday, December 7th, we are doing a show at the Brooklyn Commons, which is at 388 Atlantic Avenue. It'll be about sexual harassment and comedy. What's the deal? Did you like that interview? If you like that interview, make sure that you come see Alex Press live at our live taping on December 7th. That's Thursday, December 7th. Alex Press will be joined by stand-up comedians Judah Friedlander and Kath Barbadaro. So make sure you come out Thursday, December 7th at the Brooklyn Commons, which is at 388 Atlantic Avenue. The Katie Helper Show is produced by Florence Burrow-Adams with help from Joshua Bregman. Our theme song is by The Ballet. Thanks, guys. We will see you next week.